0: Welcome to Macro Crunch, a podcast covering global investing and technology. I'm your host, Sean Bill, a macro investor with over 20 years experience. I currently manage over $3 billion investing in growth, income, and alternative assets. I'm also an active angel investor based here in the Silicon Valley. If you're an accredited investor, you can follow my angel investments at angel.co. And check out my blog at macrocrunch.com. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. I'm really excited to have Zach Collius as the first guest on Macro Crunch for the 2021 season. There's no set path or playbook for becoming a venture investor. In today's interview, Zach takes us through his journey from Minnesota to San Francisco, from starting a company to becoming an investor. Uh, Zach, thanks a lot for coming on today. Um, you and I had a chance to meet briefly with one of your uh, shindigs I used to throw when before COVID. We had the uh, the, the little parties and dinners with John Steinberg. And those were always fun. I miss those. Uh, But I thought it would be really interesting to get you on here and just kind of talk a little bit about your progression from, you know, an entrepreneur and founder, and kind of all the way through that process to now running a a venture fund. Uh, Maybe we could start out I know you went to the University of Minnesota and Limerick University. Uh, Maybe you tell us a little bit about how you went from Minnesota to the Silicon Valley.
1: Yeah, so um, I grew up in Minnesota, so going there for for undergrad was a was as easy as basically putting my name on a piece of paper and an SAT score. Like really, it, like it worked out. It ended up working out really well. Um, the university is a big school, but um, it the uh, they have a really good graduate program, and I was able to talk talk my way into basically like taking graduate classes from basically my freshman year, and was able to like get a really good, really good sort of like. Hack to uh, a big state school, which worked out well. And then um, I ended up in Limerick as part of this thing called the Mitchell Scholarship, which is a, basically designed to take American kids and send them to Ireland for a year. And I had started a tech company when I was in college. We built this, uh, this group called Votes for Students, which was the first online voting and registration platform, tools to help people vote on the internet back in '02, which was pretty early for that sort of that stuff. And um, I was really into the internet. I've been, you know, involved with computers since I was, you know, a kid. We had a BBS in my house when I was, you know, in the early 80s. And, you know, I've been using computers from from the Windows XT days um, or the Windows, the IBM XT days. And uh, so, yeah, when I was in Ireland, all I could think about was computers and, you know, the internet and where I was going and, my, uh, my thesis the role was on uh, the role of information technologies and repressive regimes, so basically mm. thinking about how cell phones and the internet would basically undermine power structures and lead to, you know, civil unrest and, you know, power destabilization, yeah. et cetera. Um, like Twitter. <laughs> like Twitter, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 2005, that was, pretty, it was a pretty early thing to write about, um, yeah. pre-Twitter, so people hadn't it was still kind of people were still kind of rocking it but yeah so then i am after after grad school i went to uh new york for a couple weeks kind of hanging around trying to figure out if it was the right place for me or not Mm -hmm. and um it wasn't and i loaded up my car and drove out to san francisco slept on a buddy's couch for a month went to burning man and then i just started crashing tech conferences so i went to Every tech, conference, every tech conference I could find, I would just sort of like sneak in and pretend like I belonged and make friends and just sort of like, just kind of wormed my way into the game.
0: Yeah. Now, had you been to San Francisco before or was that kind of like, hey, I'm just going to go check this place out?
1: So I've been here a few times for debate at Stanford. Um, okay. We had debate competitions at Stanford and that was great and fun. Um, yeah. And it's it was,
0: you know, the weather the was area. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, coming from that whole area is incredible.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, it, was, it was, it, but really, no, I I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for. I'd never spent any time in the city of San Francisco. I I was just, you know, just a yeah. young kid trying to make my way.
0: Yeah, when when my we moved from Texas to uh, the Bay Area, and I remember coming from the airport in San Jose and seeing all the crazy sports cars, and then the first thing that jumped out was... That pocket of weather around Stanford, because we lived in Menlo Park, and uh, it was just like freaking unbelievably great weather. Yeah. I was like, God, you know, I mean, you know, if you lived in Texas or Minnesota, you that stands out immediately.
1: Yeah. it's a strong motivator. Yeah. Yeah. So you
0: come to the Bay Area, you start attending the tech conferences, so you know TechCrunch or Y Combinator or Plug and Play, whatever. Um, how did like how was how did that first angel investment kind of develop? Like, where did that idea come from? And like, how did that, how did that come around from going from like a yeah. founder to like, okay, I'm actually going to try and invest in a company.
1: Yeah. So there's sort of a 10 year gap between when I started investing and when I first got here, which was, I started a company called Trigit. Um, we were in the ad tech space. So we worked with big direct response marketers, um, to provide them with, you know, really high quality retargeting capabilities. And we worked with booking.com, Walmart, Best Buy, Home Depot, all the big guys use this. And we were, we were on our way to, you know, hundreds of millions in revenue. And then Facebook just totally gutted us, which was a really excruciating experience. Um, <laughs> and so when we sold that in 2015, um, I had been advising a bunch of different companies, just kind of helping them out. Cause I'd been there at the beginning of Uber and Airbnb and Dropbox mm-hmm. and like, you know, playing poker with those guys. And like, so I, I've been deeply involved in the ecosystem and I've been advising a bunch of companies. And one of the companies that I had been advising was this company called Branch Metrics. And NEA was leading, I had introduced them to their to to their sort of seed, which would became mm-hmm. NEA. And so I was deeply involved in the business. And NEA was leading the A. And I was like, oh, this Angelist thing, the syndicate thing just popped up. Do you guys mind if I run a syndicate? And they were like, sure. So we put up a 200 k syndicate. And, you know, 24 hours later, it was filled. And I was like, yeah. oh, look at that. I'm an investor now. That.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I had a, I had a similar experience with that. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of very similar. I just asked one of the founders, I'm like, hey, you mind if I syndicate this and try it? I'd never done anything. It was on like 2014, I think. And uh, same thing. Like, within, like, 48 hours, the thing was filled. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is great. You get some leverage on capital and you can do more deals. So, yeah, so is your totally. your first syndicate in like the 2013, 2012, or? 20, no, no, 2015.
1: 2015.
0: <laughs> 2015, okay, 2015, yeah, okay. Yeah. So okay. start with the syndicates, which is a great way for people to kind of move from an advisor, maybe to start actually becoming more of an investor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I always I always try to push that with the younger guys. I'm like, you know, if you're really interested in that, take your expertise in that domain that you are you got the depth in and try and do a syndicate. Yeah. Um, so you, you and I know a lot about your syndicates because uh, I followed it on AngelList, but so you've done a lot of syndicates, you've deployed a lot of capital through the syndicate model. And yeah. that is, you know, for a lot of investors, that's still kind of a new thing, you know, for the institutional crowd like my my crowd in terms of the pension CIOs and what have you. Um, you know, we I think we saw Naval in the, maybe it was maybe 2015 or 16. And. Uh, and it was, it was uh, people were still very kind of like scratching their head about what is seed investing, what is, you know, SPVs. Mm-hmm. And am just talking about like the institutional investors. And, uh, you know, Naval had some incredible numbers. And uh, the people were still like kind of like not sure what to make of it all. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of evolved, right? And now I think now people are doing pretty big syndicates and pretty big uh, rounds through the SPVs. So you've, yeah. you've done probably what forty million or so, something like that, on AngelList and SPVs. Uh, I think the, the full years.
1: deployed via AngelList is a like about thirty million now 30 million. via yeah. the SPVs. Um, yeah.
0: So a lot but of experience running, in that space.
1: You know, thirty percent IRR every yeah. year for five years now across that portfolio, and we've just had you know we had we got lucky. One of our first syndicates was into cruise automation so when the mm-hmm. gm bought them for a billion dollars you know yeah. everyone thought i knew what i was doing and like a whole bunch of capital came over relatively quickly and then awesome. you know we've had a bunch of really good exits in there so you know we're we've got i mean the dpi is almost at already you had a 0.5 for that capital deployed um mm-hmm. and it looks like given the marks we're gonna that'll be easily like a you know, easily probably a four X fund. So, yeah. yeah, people are happy. Yeah.
0: Very good numbers. Yeah. Now, how did like, uh, so, so you know, having a unicorn in the portfolio from a seed stage, very rare. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you could kind of talk a little bit about how that investment came about and kind yeah. of, you know, that's a big winner. Maybe some of the lessons from that investment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, like I said, I've been hanging around out here for, for a long time and, One of my good friends was the guy who started Cruise, Kyle. Uh, I knew him when he was first joining Justin TV and was their first hardware engineer building, you know, the camera that was on Justin's head. Um, I've known him for a long time. And um, I didn't invest in the seed for Cruise because I didn't have capital when that happened. Um, You know, I think I would have i mean now i would have obviously but like in retrospect it's it was tough right he was building a really really hard product yeah is this you know self-driving add-on for audi a4s but um when the a came around he and i got coffee and it was just one of those he's like yeah dude i think i got this and i was yeah. like i could see it i was like oh yeah i think he's got it and uh it was a bet on kyle and it was very much like i just put in a you know relatively small check relative to that round i mean that was a It was a twenty million dollar round, so it's you know sizable amount of capital going in. Yeah, it's a big A. um, Yeah, it worked out really well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, very rare to get you know a C or an A into a unicorn. So
1: yeah, congratulations. Especially that that early. Back then, it was it was much more unusual, and so um, and then exit more like having an exit that early really validated kind of. You know what i'm doing and syndicates Mm -hmm. and angelists and like it just the whole thing really just sort of gave me a lot of momentum and you
0: know so is that kind of like um kind of the the approach that you generally take you're 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 really kind of focusing on the founder first over the over the idea maybe even or is it kind of a combination or uh, yeah so
1: i have three sort of ways that i approach things so i'm not with people i've known for a long time like you know i've known them for a decade I'm very comfortable investing in them, regardless of anything else. Because yeah. um, you know, I've got you know, if you can look at someone from a longitudinal perspective, you can really start to understand their skill and their capabilities. And you know, invariably, they usually have a good idea. They're going after a good market, and sometimes they're doing something that I think is dumb. And then it's I have to actually dig in and really figure out: Do I think it's dumb because it's a normative violation, which is generally really good, or do I think it's dumb because it's just dumb? And then I'm like, yeah, dude, I can't, I can't
0: invest. Yeah, in it. Like, yeah. I
1: love you, but I can't. It's always a hard
0: conversation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's challenging, but that that's sort of like my sweet spot because it's you know those deals are are really high quality. The, the general performance is very high, and um, but there's only so many of them, right? Like I've only known so many people who are I've known for long enough, but who also have the talent and skills to build it, and they want to. I mean, a lot of my friends have become so successful over the last, you know, 15 years that like yeah. they'd rather sit kind by their done. pool and hang out than work. Um yeah. yeah.
0: so a hedge that, fund sure. crowd too, you know, we, we see that in the hedge fund world, we back a bunch of these hedge funds and then after they made, you know, significant amount of money, uh, the alpha does drop because they don't work as hard, they don't need to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's normal. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, but that, that sort of zone of competence is limited there's only so much capital I can go into that, and generally the other thing is is that they tend to be highly competitive rounds. So like for instance, like this summer, one of my good buddies, he basically started. He was like early at um, running product at Pinterest, and then he ran product at a firm. And like I've known him for many many years, and he was like, "Hey, I have this idea. I want to start this company in the mental health space." And I was like, "I want to give you all. I want to give you all the money you need. Like I give you a million dollars tomorrow because he's amazing, right?" And like you know. He calls me up a couple of days later, he's like, yeah, like you predicted, you know, Max Levchin wants part of the round, and Dave Tisch wants part of the round, and like all these friends, and so we suddenly, instead of getting a million in, I got 250 in. And yeah. then, you know, you know, two months later, Sequoia shows up, and they're like, hey! And, oh, yeah. by the way, you guys can't invest anymore, we're going to take all of it. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. like, it's, it's those rounds generally are difficult to move a lot of capital into. Um,
0: and then so you... then the
1: second area... Mm -hmm. that I spend a lot of time is it's just sort of trying to identify founders that I think are talented, that are doing something that's interesting and that are basically at the cusp of product market fit, but are not yet there where I can sort of hang around the rim and track them and watch them and help them and really try to build that sort of longitudinal sort of perspective on their business and who they are. And then hopefully if they basically hit sort of like that first hint of product market fit, then I can basically swoop in and write a check and start to move capital into the business. Um, And that's actually lots and lots of my businesses look like that. And generally B2B software businesses, sometimes a little bit outside of those zones, but that's where I play. And then the the third third category, which is, you know, slightly more narrow, it's categories where I have a deep expertise in the space. Like I've known them, like ad tech, Martech stuff like that. Uh, and there I can basically like bet on an idea. I'm like, okay, I don't really know you that well, but I know this idea is really good. Okay. I'm going to bet on that. But that's, I found to be a very challenging space to play in because those markets move really rapidly and it's hard to basically be at the cutting edge like I used to be. And so I've, I've seen my sort of, insights decline into those markets. And so um, it's that second category that's where really the meat of my sort of arrow.
0: Gotcha. Now, um, it almost sounds like when you're waiting around the rim, when you're hanging around the rim and you're kind of waiting for that product market fit, that maybe that would also kind of put you in a position where you're open to doing kind of maybe plus rounds, like a seed plus round or something in between yeah, you know, to try to get in there before the next round. And, and yeah. Yeah. And so you you do that. And then do you generally, when you're doing a plus round or an add on, is it, you're trying to do it uh, at the last round or a little bit above, or how how does that generally play out?
1: Yeah. I mean, it really just depends on the dynamic and,
0: um,
1: you know, there's, there's an interesting, there's an interesting aspect in venture where, social proof is a big driver to venture rounds like you know Mm -hmm. people will look at who else is doing this deal how competitive is this deal how hot how how exciting is the deal and that social proof leads to what i think of as special situations when you're outside of those zones and the zones are really clean like the seed zone is sort of like a founder with a pedigree or some sort of proof that they're good comes into an early stage seed group and they have an idea. They don't necessarily have a lot of traction and it's like, we're going to go execute against this idea and here's who we are. And they're going to raise, you know, two to $5 million on the seed valuation. And that's, that's a, that zone is well, well delineated in the market. But what often happens is, is that those founders go do that and then they execute for some period of time. And sometimes they just they don't succeed right out of the gate. And so suddenly things get bumpy. It's unclear where the investment's going to go. And a lot of basically outsiders who are looking at the deal are like, well, we don't know if you're failing because the idea sucks or if you suck. And like, yeah. we don't really have a good sense of what's going on here. So we're uncomfortable basically with this deal because it no longer has the hype. It had its seed, yep. but it doesn't yet have the metrics that's required to get to a Series A. And, it, yeah. and I think of this as like a special situation. It's like, it's like a special situation in the stock market in that like, you have to go in and do the work. You have to like peel back the layers of the onion and figure out what's going on. And a lot of people don't like doing that, but yeah. I,
0: I do like it, so it works well. I mean, that, that could be an area where, you know, repetition and the number of deals that you're doing kind of gives you a little bit of pattern recognition or something, maybe a little insight into kind of like, okay, who's like legit in terms of potentially gonna make it out of this slump and into that, that phase versus who's just on the wrong track, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, what I like to look for is an articulation of a value proposition that crystallizes in a way that's clear. So like most founders, when they're working on an idea, they'll tell you, oh, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this. And we and there's all these ands. And then mm-hmm. when you find the thing that actually works, the ands all fall away and it becomes, right. we do this. This is what we yeah. do. Because that's the thing where you can call somebody at nine o'clock at night on their cell phone that you don't know while they're putting their kid to bed and be like, "Hey, I have a X, One sentence, and they're like, "Oh, I want to talk to you tomorrow." Instead of yeah. "Fuck you," why are you calling me? Like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and
1: like that, because in order for something to break through in this market, like the scale, the potential scale and distribution is unlimited. The the value needs to really the delta, the value delta needs to be material and it has to be like a big delta where a customer's like, Oh my God, I have that pain or that really is super valuable to me. Like, I love that. Let's do it. Yeah. Cause then if you can, and once you find that articulation, if you then call some customers and be like, Hey, is this valuable to you? And they're like, Oh yeah. Like, okay, now we got something. And so then what ends up happening is, is like that, that crystallization on value usually ends up leading to growth. Because customers start buying. And then about you know, at the two to three months of month over month growth ratio, now any VC can extend the line. They just look at that growth and they're like, oh. And then you have hyper competitive rounds where VC firms come in blasting and they have a totally different model and they're willing to pay much higher prices. They don't have the same risk in that sort of nether zone. And so that's really
0: interesting. Yeah, we've definitely seen this in the pension space where you know, the zero interest rates and the quantitative easing that's going on has pushed institutional investors out the risk curve. Yeah. So, you know, when we used to be able to go into high yield and get it meet our numbers, now we have to go into equity and our equity yeah. bucket that used to get the equity returns. Now going to go into private equity or venture. And yeah. so it's forcing us out that way. And then I think what, what we're seeing is the institutional investors are like, hey, maybe we should be doing late stage VC as a substitute for our small cap investing. So get rid of yeah. the public small cap. Let's go with Hadley Harbor or whoever Sequoia, yeah. and we'll do these late stage deals, which then also pushes their capital to where they're like, oh well, you know, geez, we need to go down the, you know, guys that maybe did B's and C's are doing A rounds or C or seed rounds, and they're taking the whole thing. So that, yeah. that when you mentioned, uh, you know, that it gets very competitive, I, it brings me it brings to mind kind of the idea of the pro rata, right? And is that something that you uh, really try to? capture if you're doing a seed or series a like i I gotta have my prorata so i know i can get into that next round or does it not not really uh part of the equation
1: well so prorata as a sort of like strict rule is basically dead like it you you you, because the problem is is that now like no one no one is going to sue to enforce their pro rata and so and because everyone knows that it's not unusual for you know the next round vc to be like hey guess what there's no room for you and they're basically putting pressure on the founders to basically ask the 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 earlier stage investors to waive their pro rata and usually the founders have fallen in love with the deal they want it and they're like okay well so like screwing the earlier stage investors in terms of their follow-on rights is it's every, every deal now. Like, There's yeah. no longer basically like, oh, you get your pro rata. But it all comes down to your relationship with the, with the CEO. Because mm-hmm. if you're a value-add investor, if you're making introductions, if you're helping them hire people, if you're doing good things for them, well, it's pretty difficult for them to basically shaft you. And you're like look i'm doing things for you what are you doing to me here and you can fight for your ability to allocate capital and also the thing is what i try to do is i try to basically get involved in the fundraising process when they're getting ready to fundraise and i help help them there and i'm like make introductions and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm deeply involved in evaluating who to go with and then it becomes a lot harder for me to get edged out but yeah this is this is a business where we get to invest using inside information like i know more about the businesses that I'm in than the new investors who are coming in. So my right. ability to make allocation decisions is really good, but you got to make sure you can get the space to get the capital into And, yeah. you know, it's, it, it can be tricky. Um, yeah.
0: Now I was reading your playbook, uh, which I think is, is great that, you know, you're, you're very transparent in terms of like, okay, Hey, here's the link at the bottom of my email for my kind of my philosophy or my, uh, I think it's your playbook, maybe titled. And then, uh, Uh, You have your portfolio there and then, you know, kind of the rolling funds and stuff. So people can kind of learn quite a bit just looking at that stuff. Um, Now, in your playbook, it kind of talked about seed to C, I think it was. Yeah. So how do you think about that? Like when when you're looking at a company and, you know, you're doing a seed round, you know, a 250 is a pretty big number, right? And then you get to Series A and, you know, it's not such a big number. And then by the time you're at B, it could be maybe too big to even be able to really be involved, at least as an individual, but you get the funds. So how do you work through that whole thing? Like where do you, I guess C round is where you kind of stop investing.
1: Well, so the way I do it is almost all of my time and energy in terms of the first relationships is early stage. So from C to A is where I'm trying to get involved in the businesses and get, you know, a foot in the door and get a check on the cap table and start to get engaged and start collecting information. But then a couple of years ago, I basically got introduced to industry ventures guys, and they were like, Hey, we did this thing with Sokka, where we funded him and he basically ran around and did deals. And we're trying to basically do that again. And would you be interested in in helping us figure out how to do that? And at the time I had this deal where I had written a term sheet to give a bridge to HelloSign for their Series B. And then The Foundry Group guys found out and they were like, hey, Zach, do you mind if we turn this into a proper B? And I was like, sure. But I had this like $4 million slice in the Hellasone Series B because I kind of started the process and I've been deeply involved in that business since day zero. Joseph was on my debate team in Minnesota. Um, And so I basically had this slug and I was like, can we do this deal? And they were like, sure, let's do it. And so that was the first check we wrote. And so they basically gave me the, the wherewithal to write much bigger checks in the later stage. So we can go as big as 5 or $10 million checks into the later stage opportunities. And that really has worked out really well. So I can yeah. kind of stick to my knitting and finding these early stage opportunities. But now I've got 50-plus companies in the portfolio. And once they start to age up and like, the check-size opportunity becomes big, we can use that industry ventures capital to write a big check into – Sometimes they special situations, sometimes they're the next round, lots of different things. And we we put another, you know, a little more than $25 million into that vehicle now. And cool. that vehicle's, you know, we've already returned that vehicle. The Sign deal was great. So they're yeah. really happy with what they're getting. And
0: um, yeah. yeah, working really well. No, that's very cool because I mean, like, you know, like we said, you know, Seed and Series A, you, you, could, you could probably pull it together. You start getting to that B and C, that's a big check. And like, you mm-hmm. know, to pull that kind of money together quickly, you know, it can be challenging. That's a pretty new oh, yeah. extension of your range. The yeah, um, I mean, it, there's,
1: there's a few guys who've done the, like, the SPVs, the large-scale SPVs via family offices mostly. Yeah. And they build, they build out a bunch of relationships with family offices. And they they built out a really a, a system for doing that. But that's really challenging. It's like that requires, yeah. like, the same level of sort of institutionalization that I have around SEED, they basically have around um around the later stage stuff and you got to you got to focus on one or the other so this works for me it's it's
0: good well and we're definitely it on the pension side you know i mean i'm I'm managing about three billion roughly and you know there's definitely yeah i mean you know it's it's i I used to manage like 10 billion out of a fixed income fund but so it's a little smaller but it's more broad you know so um used to be in uh, the hedge fund world, which, you know, was pretty laser focused. Um, But this is kind of like you're going across all asset classes. You're, you know, doing, you know, public equity, private equity, fixed income, private credit, you know, farmland, timber, whatever. Um, But we have seen uh, like a shift, uh, I'd say in the last three years or so, where a lot of the firms are trying to find people like you that do direct co-investments. Mm -hmm. Because from our perspective, sitting on the other side of the table as a allocator to these funds, like industry ventures and what have you, um, you know, one of our first concerns is fees and fee drag. And so, you know, we may say, hey, we'll we'll put 60% into your, you know, flagship fund of funds. And then we'd like to have 40% of our capital going into direct deals, you know, as a side pocket going along with you. And Mm -hmm. um, that kind of brings down that fee. V-drag quite a bit. Mm-hmm. so I, I've definitely seen a lot of growth in that area where, you know, fund to funds that never talked about it are now kind of yeah. making it a starting point in the conversation with the institutional investors that we have a yeah. big pipeline of direct investments and co-investments. We've
1: we got one in the works right now that, that I'm really excited about where the industry ventures and we're doing, we're doing exactly that. So like we're doing um, a big, a big check out of the, my vehicle with them. And then we're also doing a big direct check. So that that gives them the ability to sort of like, you know, manage manage that fee load more effectively.
0: Um, Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. So then um, maybe that evolution, you know, so going from, uh, you know, SPVs, uh, now having you have your industry ventures vehicle, um, the new thing on the block seems to be these rolling funds, and yeah, maybe we yeah. talk a little bit about, you know, that and what attracted you to that idea, um, which seems yeah. pretty innovative. I guess it's really a function. Whoops, hold on. I don't know why that popped up. That's my email. Um, again, somebody really wants to get in touch here. Sorry about that. It's all
1: good, don't worry.
0: Yeah, uh, hold on here. Okay, The um, uh, so the rolling funds, I guess is really kind of a function of now they have the data and the um, software that makes it possible to capture all of these, you know, rolling high water marks for guess, really different separate investors that may have different time horizons that may, you know. so Zach might say, hey, i to uh, do eight quarters, a uh, uh, hundred grand a quarter, and then Sean may be like, hey, I wanna do, you know, four quarters uh, at a quarter. And we yeah. have different high water marks and all that. And that in the past would have been extremely difficult from an accounting standpoint. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. And it sounds like they've kind of nailed that down to angel list and they kind of feel very comfortable with you now putting this out there. Um, so yeah. what were your thoughts on that? Like, so are you still doing SPVs or is it kind of oh, no, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. I want to really do rolling funds, or it's both, it sounds like
1: both both, okay. both. So what happened was is um, I announced, I got lucky, one of my buddies used to write for the Wall Street Journal. And I got him to write an article about my industry ventures fund this summer, um, which is a great way to get credibility. Like when people see in the Wall Street Journal, they think you're for real. Um, it was like, <laughs> like okay, sweet. That worked yeah. out. But, yeah. um, but after that, like a whole bunch of my friends were like, hey, I want to invest with you. Like, how do I do it? And, you know, historically I would be like, oh, great, just join the syndicate. But a lot of them were like, I want to join the fund. I don't want to be part of the syndicate. Yeah. I don't want to have to think about it on a deal-by-deal basis. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like, deal with, like, I want fire and forget. And Angelus had just rolled out the rolling fund. And the great mm-hmm. thing about the rolling fund is that basically, like, an LP, every quarter, an LP can basically join whenever they want. They can leave whenever they want. They can increase or decrease their commitments whenever they want. And it's super LP-friendly. Because like, normally if you're an LP and you're going to join a venture fund, you're like, you're stuck with that person for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And if they basically turn out to be an idiot, you've got to keep writing checks into them, which is yeah. super painful. And, yeah. and it's just like, you, so what ends up happening is you have this super high bar for diligence that most LPs do because you've got this long-term commitment with this manager. And, and that high bar makes the whole process really painful and everybody hates it. And it's just like, it's a really, it's like the whole thing sucks.
0: Yeah, and so the rolling fund
1: concept—the rolling concept is great. It's like I can go to my friends and Mm -hmm. be like, "Hey, you want to invest? Here's the rolling fund. Sign up whenever you want. It's Mm -hmm. here. And if you want to leave, great. I don't care. If you want to increase, which has been happening lately, everyone's like increasing their allocations. Great. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And so it's like it gives me this very lightweight way to deal with LPs, and especially like new LPs. Like I just had a family office reach out, you know maybe a month ago and they're like, Hey, we want to go through this process. And I was like, look, I don't want to do a process. I'll talk to you guys. I'll share you. I'll share all of the information, but, and if you want to do your diligence, do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to go through a process. It's yeah, like yeah. really rigorous. Here's the rolling fund, put in whatever you want and yeah. then see how you like it. And if you, and and so they did it and then we've already had a bunch of markups in there. So they're like, Oh this is good. We're going to give you more. Yeah. I'm like, okay. But if they decide I'm an Indian, they can also leave. And right. It really changes the, the interaction between an LP and a GP in yep. a much more healthy way. Like, yeah, it's yeah,
0: much better. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, even from the LP side, you know, as a, as a pension fund, if we go make an early commitment to a new venture fund and then, you know, we're whatever, $25 million into the fund and then down the road, you know, another 50 million comes in and we get diluted down, right, and all that. And we kind of took a little more risk up front. And yeah. so it's kind of nice if you could do the, the quarterly rolling. It's like, okay, you know, we're putting a million bucks a quarter and you know, we're gonna do this for four years, and you know, we're not gonna really necessarily be diluted in any of those original investments as yeah, other no, LPs no. come on board. Which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah,
1: yeah every quarter basically is its own discrete fund. And so the investments that get made that quarter, you have your your shares in those investments and they you they stay with you through the life of you know those investments and when those investments eventually exit then basically you get your you know you get your distributions
0: so right.
1: it's, it's really clean i like angelus i mean they've they've traditionally just really innovated in a lot of exciting yeah. ways it's
0: good yeah they've done really a really good, good job uh, yeah every time i i see what they're doing i'm like you know they're, they're on the cutting edge of this space uh yeah. i think they were talking about doing like an index fund of the silicon valley which would be really interesting if they could get that off the ground, because you know you could just kind of say, okay, we're going to invest in all these deals that come along, and you know, over a ten-year period, we got an Uber, a Twitter, a, you know, Airbnb, whatever that flows through the system. Yeah, pretty cool. gonna yeah. invest in the innovation economy. Um, yeah. So, so I don't want to keep it too long. Um, so, what are like what's the area that you're kind of excited about now, and why is now the right time to be focused on it, and what like where are you spending your time now? On investing? Yeah, I mean, so.
1: I, I've just been sticking to my knitting early stage finding, you know, these companies when they're young and helping them out and, you know, getting, getting ownership early when it's cheap. And then, you know, just trying to help them over the course. Cause it's, when I look at sort of like, you know, the future, you know, we've got 20 years, you know, we're going to have cars that drive themselves. Like, you know, that's, we're going to have VR that, Feels and looks real, Mm -hmm. like e-commerce is going to basically be like you push a button and it just shows up at your door and it's delivered by a drone or a robot, like all this stuff that basically like, if you think of it as science fiction, but really, if you look at the trend lines around technology, it's clearly going to happen. But Mm -hmm. if you look at like the incremental work that needs to be done between here and there, there's just a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done on every vector you can possibly imagine. And it's, you know, improving the back office... Accounts payable software for mid-market sort of like yeah. enterprises, which you know is a market that we're in and is we're doing really well in because it's broken and it needs it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I look at those incremental steps that we have of, of, um, of of just making the things work better and inventing and building new technology. And I, I, I'm going to be able to do this until I, I no longer want to do it. Like, yeah. so, and the earliest stage is the most interesting to me because like, you look at like one of the companies we're investing in is a company called Mercury, which is a, a bank for yep. startups. Yep. And you know, we invested at a you know, a $10 million valuation yep. and that that's clearly going to be a multi-billion dollar business at the rate that they're going. And so like, we were, for a relatively small check, we were able to get a very large piece of ownership where today, if you wanted to go in and buy that ownership, it would cost you tens of millions of dollars. And so yeah. like, you look at that opportunity and it's really like, that for as a manager, like the alpha really is about that. It's about yeah. identifying these businesses that are going to get really big and being able to buy ownership when they're, it's relatively cheap and, and doing it in a, before the rest of the market realizes it and starts piling into it and driving it to the moon. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I think fun. It, that's
0: the challenge. Yeah. And I think the banking space is just getting started, really. You know, I yeah, mean, totally. that's how I originally got interested in angel investing. Mike Cagney was a friend of mine from the hedge fund world and was starting SoFi. And yeah. uh, we both went to Stanford Business School. And uh, you know, I started poking around watching what was going on there. And I was kind of shocked that all these hedge fund guys were kind of shifting over to the tech space, you know, because they had really good businesses going. And, right. uh, you know, like Dan Moorhead, right, you know, managing a billion dollars gives it all back to investors, goes over to this crypto thing, everybody's like, what the heck is this? You know, yeah. John Burbank, you know, another one, yeah. in San Francisco, there's a lot of them. Um, But yeah, it is, it's it's super interesting. I do think it's very early in FinTech still, even. Um mm-hmm. That's kind of the area I try to spend most of my time because I feel like I have a little bit of an edge there. And I, I remember, I think it was Ahmad, right? From Mercury? <laughs> yeah, yeah, super, super good. Yeah, that was really interesting, yeah. He's awesome. Um, yeah. Now being in San Francisco, a lot of chatter about people moving out of San Francisco. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that the Silicon Valley is, I guess, maybe going to lose a little bit of its grip on innovation? Or do you think that, you know, it's still the place you want to be big picture wise? I mean, we've heard Austin, Miami, uh, Denver. uh, Those three seem to be grabbing a lot of people. And of course, New York has been around for a while.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so uh, when I first moved here, in 05, people thought I was crazy to try to start a tech company in San Francisco. Like, they were like, yeah. well, there's no tech companies in San Francisco. Everyone's down in, Palo Alto
0: oh, the yeah. in
1: the peninsula. And and I was like, look, San Francisco's an interesting city. I like it here. You know, there's a lot of things that the mountains are here. The water is here. Yeah. There's like everything that, that I'm really excited about, you know, um, as a place to live is here. And so I've been here, you know, through the... You know, the downs and the ups of sort of like all these tech companies moving into the city. But the problem is, is that the city is run by people who are ideologically, you know, kind of morons, in my opinion. And so they really dealt very poorly with the growth that came from all these tech companies hiring and and staffing people. And they've they've made it a place because they've been unwilling to build. They've made it a place that just isn't sustainable for housing you know yeah workers like you just can't you can't build a business in this city if you're going to have any scale because the yeah. housing is just too expensive it's and, very expensive and so like we're now seeing the release valve from that which is work from home and remote work and you know the, the beautiful tools that we built is making it possible for people to work from yeah. anywhere and you know that's great if you want to go live in miami and work in technology you now can whereas before yeah. you really would have been in, a, in really a second place. Yeah. That said, and I mean the city I think is I mean it's a disaster like the crime here is out of control and yeah. The, the trash is just it makes me just really infuriated with, with yeah. the stupidity of of basically the ideology of this of this city. But I still think it's basically going to be the place where like to go back to the beginning of our conversation, like those dinners that we run, We every every mm. month we get 45 entrepreneurs together one night. And the next night we get 45 VCs together and we just have a random dinner and we just all hang out and chat. And it's super informal, but like-
0: Spontaneous collisions.
1: I've got a thousand people on each of those lists and they're really high quality people. And I can do that every month and there's no pressure. I don't have to email anybody. They're always oversold. And it's like the, the density- of, of players in this Network. space in this market is higher than anywhere else in the world and like yeah. i can't imagine being able to run that at the same scale in any of those other ancillary markets it would be harder because like getting 45 vcs together in austin requires a private plane to fly them in yeah. like, whereas yeah. here you know they, they they fall out of the trees
0: yeah so it's is- Kind of that beehive effect that jobs talks about right i mean you can go take risks start on some startup and if it doesn't work out there are all these other opportunities that you can kind of move around to and yeah. so you inherently have probably a little bit higher risk taking individuals that you know feel comfortable taking and embracing the risk whereas if you're in austin yeah. you lose your gig might be a little bit trickier to replace yeah that i
1: think it's like you know like a good friend of mine was over for dinner last night and he just quit his, you know, super high paying PM job at one company. And he's got two other companies who are basically like bidding for him right now yeah. to pay him a shit ton of money because he's a very, very cleanly delineated professional in this very narrow niche. Whereas in Austin, no way. Like there's not a single company in Austin who could basically pay him a quarter of what he costs. And so yeah. like those those really skilled professionals – I think we'll remain in the Bay Area, but we're clearly going through a new equilibrium. Like, you know, I don't think you're gonna see the number of people working out of the office buildings of downtown San Francisco we used to have. And, you know, that's gonna be a bumpy process as the city sort of like recenters itself.
0: Yeah, well, I'm gonna be respectful of your time. I know we're starting to run over here, so we'll wrap up there. Uh, If people wanted to follow you, I guess Twitter's probably one of the better places. Any other things? Yeah,
1: yeah, Twitter, Twitter, LinkedIn, um yep. yeah those are the those are the two places i spend most of my social media time
0: all right awesome well thanks so much for taking the time zach really enjoyed it and i think uh it's a really interesting story that people are gonna get a kick out of hearing so
1: awesome good talking to you thanks for doing yeah, uh, this i appreciate it
0: all right thanks a lot